If you are into sustainability and cannabis, this show is for you. Hi, I'm Benjamin Douglas Ray, the creator and host of Sustainable Cannabis TV, a daily 30-minute interview show focused on sustainable practices within the cannabis industry. Sustainable Cannabis TV is designed to give listeners in-depth insights, knowledge, and stories of industry professionals who are positive impacting the world and making a difference. This show is brought to you by my line of organic hemp CBD products called 8 Saints Brand. THC-free creams, balms, and tinctures to ease joint pain, reduce anxiety, and help you sleep better. Check them out at 8SaintsBrand.com. Thinking here. Hey, it's uh, Benjamin Douglas Ray with another edition of Sustainable Cannabis TV. I'm here with Mark Pesek-Ovich. How are you? Doing very well, and congratulations on the uh, good pronunciation of the last name. I struggled with it for a minute, but thank you for explaining it to me. So, Mark, I'm happy to have you on here. He's he's deep into um, what some would call lobbying. He's got another word for it, but <laughs> you're in Illinois uh, you work on application management, uh, issue campaigns, you deal with regulators all the time, which is a very fascinating part of the business. So I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Happy New Year. Hopefully Happy we New Year. survive 2020. We can all thrive in 21. Uh, so far, it's been better already. So it's awesome. So tell me about how you describe what you do now. And then give us a little bit of background about, you know, your your career and then what you're working on today. Well, um, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it says lobbyist, consultant uh, and senior advisor for the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois. Um, uh, that's the LinkedIn version. When, when, when people talk about lobbying, I think a lot of times the analogy that helps people understand what I do is actually plumbing. Hmm. Uh, what I am is kind of a plumber. Um, when an issue starts, when a public policy starts somewhere, uh, it goes through a pipeline. Um, there are steps and hoops and blockages. Uh, and generally what I do for my clients is make sure that issue starts in the pipeline and I go in and I uh, hopefully even before they are encountered, clear up the blockages in that pipeline to get the issue all the way to the other side. Let's say if it's legislation, you start by, you know, preparing a year before you file that legislation, then you move it along, then it's introduced, then there's a legislative process, then the uh, governor has to sign it. And so, uh, it's a pipe. There are clogs. And uh, as a lobbyist, my job is to clear up those clogs when needed and, and try to prevent clogs from forming in the first place. Uh, it's amazing to me that people um, uh, really only think about prevention when they think about health care. Um, and, and I always tell people lobbying, the actual uh, act of lobbying legislators and asking them for something, that's sort of acute illness. At that point, you are getting treated already. A lot of the lobbying and building support and building a coalition is preventative. Mm. Uh, and it makes sure you don't end up uh, getting sick. And so um, 
a lot of what we do is never seen because it's not public debates or speeches between legislators. Uh, a lot of it is actually about talking and building consensus and getting the right groups behind your cause. And that's particularly important for cannabis because, um, you know, it's a community that's very passionate and there are um, a lot of things that need to go right for the industry um, to do well and to be perceived right. Uh, and so uh, that's one of the things that I try to help with. Um, and I'm very, my own background I, uh, is, is that I'm an immigrant. I, I was born in Russia. Uh, and I know you'll tell me if I'm talking too much. No, but I was uh, born in Russia in, in first grade, and in Russia there isn't really, you know, a pigmentation difference. Uh, what there is is a uh, religious difference, and Jews are sort of the scapegoats, the traditional scapegoats. So uh, born to Jewish parents, uh, got beat up in first grade in Moscow in my school by fellow first graders for, for being a Jew. Uh, we came to this country as religious refugees. When I was 10 years old, I went to a very ritzy Jewish day school on full scholarship. And there, the, you know, really nicely dressed, you know, kids from nice Jewish families were just as disdainful to me for being, you know, the stinky Russian as the mm -hmm. Russians had been for me being a stinky Jew. And so that really um, uh, translates, I think, when I deal with uh, the issue of cannabis in general, but also healing the wounds caused by the war on drugs and sort of making it long-term sustainable. The only way to do that is to make sure that the wealth is spread uh, and that uh, this industry is seen as credible and generous and caring and engaged. Uh, and so, you know, I like to say that probably my immigrant refugee experience has really given me maybe a little bit more empathy than a uh, traditional American-born Caucasian male. Uh, and so I try to use those powers for good, not evil. Uh, and that really, uh, you know, begins by being honest what your goals are. Uh, and if you can explain to people why what you want is to their benefit, um, and not that they're just doing you a favor, but they're working with you to, to, to make things better for themselves. I think that's when we all win in this type of stuff. And, and unfortunately, I think people are, um, you know, in cannabis investors understand property, they understand paying for lawyers or paying for grow lamps or paying for, you know, dispensary counters, but they don't really understand uh, an investment in sort of prevention, which is having public support and public engagement really when you need it. And I think that's a critical um, element for long-term sustainability of this industry. So when you're when you're talking with, you know, kind of a, a new customer or client on the application, do you work through issues like that? You know, talking about, is this going to sustain? So you say, are you just in this to make money? Or are you really here to do some good? Let's let's go. Let's start there with the application and application management work that you do. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I get paid well for it. So uh, I, I'm not um, 
complaining, but I also want to make sure that people understand that I do have a perspective. You know, uh, there's bias uh, from everybody. And, and, you know, the difference with me is that I want to acknowledge my own bias. I profit from this industry. Uh, you know, my, my daughter's a freshman in college. As I say, my money and my daughter now go to Marquette University. And so <laughs> I'm very pleased to um, have the opportunity to be able to afford to send her there. And um, this is the type of work that I do. So this is not a charity. But at the same time, you, people need to understand that the only way we can have long-term success and viability and sustainability of this industry is to be fair, to be inclusive, to be equitable, and to spread it around. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, people think that, let's say, um, you know, the smart MSOs, right, the, the large operators, uh, you're not ever really going to see them, I think, you know, let's say there are going to be regulations about uh, availability of uh, cannabis to minors, you know, the tougher regulations around that. You know, everybody thinks the industry would just automatically rule that out and try to fight it. And I try to tell people, look, what you don't understand is that the industry, number one, wants legitimacy and sustainability mm -hmm. and the ability to plan. I mean, one of the things that investors and people with money crave is some sort of predictability, the ability to make and execute on a plan with a minimum of sort of intrusions on that plan. And uh, we cannot have that kind of certainty. We cannot have that kind of reassurance for um, sophisticated investors. Uh, unless we show them that we are part of this world and we're not going away. And I think one of the things about regulation is uh, that industry, current industry, understands that, number one, um, being seen as responsible citizens is actually important to people letting us hang around, mm -hmm. right? And, and so uh, if uh, if you know, regulations come along. Number one, I think a lot of uh, companies are saying, you know, a lot of companies currently in the industry are saying, well, first of all, we're not going to oppose something that, you know, society wants to do to protect kids under 21 more. You know, if it's another step in the ID process, well, you know, we'll figure out how to do that. But then, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody thinks that, uh, you know, uh, well, if it's not good for your business, you're just not going to do it. But it can be good for business in a number of ways. And what people don't understand is that additional regulation is additional cost and additional knowledge and additional operational planning. That's what regulation is. And so the more regulation the more the current players who are sophisticated and can afford to comply with that regulation are keeping out competitors. And so, you know, a lot of times people will think, well, why are, you know, of course the pot companies are going to fight anything when we try to control them and regulate them and tell them what to do. And the reality is not. In Illinois, the pot companies completely agree to a unization of the industry. So, uh, in the Illinois application process, you get five points, uh, which is critical because uh, every point made a difference. You get five points for signing a labor peace agreement. 
with a union mm. as part of your application. And what the labor peace agreement essentially says is, look, we talked to this union, we found common ground, and we're willing to guarantee the union access to our employees, and we're not going to fight them if they want to organize our hmm. workforce because we know that's best for all involved. Now, is that that's atypical for most of the states, isn't it, to have uh, cooperation, specifically formalized cooperation? Well, first of all, we're a deep blue state, so things here are somewhat uh, different. Unions are you know, almost part of the governance structure uh, rather than sort of petitioners like the rest of us. And so in Illinois, unions rule. Um, but the other part of it, again, is, you know, when a plant, uh, you know, gets, uh, let's say, fined by the government or when a plant's threatened with shutdown, who responds? It's the union. They want to save those jobs. And so uh, unionization means we now have um, organized labor protecting our interests because it's their interests as well. And so, uh, you know, yes, a lot of people question, well, why would you want to willingly encourage a union to, um, uh, to organize your labor force? Well, you know why? Because then those become union jobs. And you know what politicians don't like to do is cut union jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, again, that kind of prevention uh, makes sure that the path is smooth for us as we, as we go forward. Well, good. Thank you. That I mean, that's a, it's a good perspective, and it's one I think that, that uh, people don't normally think about coming into the industry. Let's talk about issues, uh, campaign issues. So tell me what happened in Illinois just yesterday. Well, we had um, what we call lame duck session, and that's the um, short legislative session where after an election. So some of the people uh, coming to that session are about to leave office in two or three days. So the voting equation changes uh, and deals can be cut. Uh, and it's sort of a period of shifting sands before the new General Assembly sworn in. So we had veto session that started last Friday, went through sort of 24 hours a day until uh, yesterday. And then yesterday at noon, the new General Assembly was sworn in. And so uh, one of the things that we really sorely needed in Illinois was a fix for our really screwed up uh, licensing process. In Illinois, um, uh, we, there, the dispensary applications were due to be handed out by the state uh, in May. Uh, and we're still waiting. And the state really, really, really royally screwed this up in part, um, you know, in part because different policy tweaks are needed, but in part just because they failed to do math and basic bookkeeping. They, they would, uh, you know, they would send a query to an applicant called a deficiency notice saying, prove this part of it. The applicant would send in a bunch of information clearly proving that part of it. And and those points then did not appear in the applicant's final score. And a lot of people think, you know, oh my God, that's, you know, government conspiracy. And I try to tell people, look, 
I, I sort of bastardize an Abraham Lincoln phrase for this because I had to remind myself early in my career that things weren't personal. People would try to kill legislative things that I was trying to do, and I'd get real angry at them, and I'd you know make these indignant speeches up in my head how I was going to tell them why they're wrong, and then I'd realize these people have no idea who I am. Uh, they, don't, they have no idea about me. Most of them don't know I exist. They're just doing their job, uh, conveying their client's perspective on the issue that happens to be important to me. So uh, that caused me to try to sort of come up with a mantra I could uh, tell myself when I was getting into those moments to help understand that not everything is personal. And so what I came up with is a change on an old Abraham uh Lincoln phrase. And so what I tell myself a lot of times is don't attribute to malice that which can be explained by stupidity. <laughs> uh, and to me, uh, that's sort of a major maxim in that I think a lot of people in lobbying, but also perhaps in life, um, attribute too much intent to dumb things that people sometimes do. <laughs> and uh, if you only understand that their merits in calculating merit might be different than yours, uh, then you sort of start from a more even perspective. Back to what happened in Illinois. We had to pass really important legislation to fix uh, Illinois' screwed up cannabis licensing process. We've got essentially licenses that were supposed to come out last spring that social equity applicants are still treading water waiting for. And so the way I describe that, and it's an untenable situation. So you've got all these applicants who use tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes, um, you know, sort of a family savings and small family investment to file this application in good faith. Um, and the state has, has, has screwed them. The state has screwed this up. Then they blame things on COVID. Well, look, you know, you can still read stuff on your computer when you're going through COVID. There should be no reason uh, that, you know, a department that's, you know, department uh, of an agency that's charged just with cannabis uh, would blame um, delays on COVID, uh, hmm. you know. What are you, you know, your job's to administer the cannabis industry. What are you doing about COVID? Why would it delay you? Mm -hmm. So in Illinois, there are just very basic problems of competence and care. And people are believing that the current administration does not care uh, about their voices. Uh, what ultimately happened is that nothing uh, passed in legislative session. Mm -hmm. So you have... Um, applicants who don't have a lot of money, obviously some do, but here in Illinois, you had legislators, you have the governor going telling uh, communities of color, this law is for you. We are going to put generational wealth back into your communities uh, to try to fix the war on drugs. And uh, people believe that and they applied for this. And now what's happening is this, you've got people with very limited amount of money in a very short investment runway, treading water, waiting for the state to act. The state just dropped the ball once again to act. And so what's happening is that these people are treading water. They're bleeding cash into mm -hmm. the water. Okay. Every day, every, every day, right? day, every, every day, day. you're bleeding cash. And, you know, talk about anti-sustainability. Mm -hmm. Get people to invest a large ton of money, 
and then give them a complete black hole with no accountability, no information, and no timeline. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I mean, that's just, and that's what the state has done. I mean, the state has really screwed these people. Uh, Here, here's a comment here from uh, from Robert. Cannabis has been seen, uh, been a cash grab for most states, especially California, um, and continues sad to see this going on everywhere. Can do you do you think? I mean, can you address that? Yeah, I think Robert has a good point, but I think I see it a little bit differently. So cannabis exists legally because states need the cash. Okay, that's the reality. Uh, things like uh, alcohol and cannabis and tobacco are tolerated in our society primarily because the state taxes them heavily and derives a lot of revenue. Um, and so the fact that can the cannabis industry is associated with, you know, um, stakeholders wanting cash is not new. It's real, but it's also not bad because the reality is, is that cash is generated. It just depends on who's getting cash. But here's the other thing. It does not apply. It sort of completely defies logic. If your premise, Robert, is that this is a cash grab, then Illinois is doing a horrible job because they could have had 150 more dispensaries uh, out there selling product, charging taxes, sending big checks to the state. They dropped the ball. Apparently, the administration does not care whether we're getting millions of dollars in taxes from a more robust, fully built out cannabis industry. Hmm. They have essentially um, uh, choked it uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, stymied its development. And so, you know, um, if we're going to go with your premise, then I don't understand why these people keep starving the golden goose. Thanks. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's a complicated issue as we know. So if you're trying to get into the industry, there are a lot of things, uh, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, we talked about it earlier today. If you're trying to get into the industry, there are things that you don't look toward, especially on the gray side in terms of regulators and relationship building and all those things. And I know that's a pet peeve of yours. Can you talk more about that, uh, specifically that regulators and you know, really what you have to do to build those relationships? Sure. Well, and, and it's, you know, before it's about regulators, it's actually about legislators, right? Because uh, until a law is established creating something, it's not wow. going to be regulated. Um, so we start by the, you know, uh, I sort of operate uh, on old Saul Alinsky principles. So when my clients uh, come to me, I tend to sort of focus on three questions. Who has the power to give you what you want? What are you going to tell them and who's going to deliver the message? And that's where you start. And so to me, part of what's particularly frustrating in Illinois is that right now, a lot of people are, are beating up on the uh, MSOs, multi-state operators with the gazillions of dollars that want to uh, expand and, and absorb. It's true. The industry is making a lot of money, but you know who's real happy when frustrated people blame the industry? The one person who actually can give them what they want, Governor J.B. Pritzker of the state of Illinois. Hmm. So if you're just complaining about the industry getting rich while you're waiting, well, that's true. 
but it's not really productive because, um, you know, one thing that I don't think people understand in terms of industry is that um, the current industry wants to have the same uh, relationship with future dispensary owners that Kraft has with grocery stores. Hmm. Okay. So Kraft and a grocery food chain do not consider each other adversaries. In fact, Kraft pays the grocery chain to get prime shelf space. Mm. And that is what the existing industry wants. They don't want to keep people out. They understand that um, there needs to be a more diverse ecosystem. Uh, and they understand that their reputation and the long-term health of their brand depends on it. And so the industry, at least here in Illinois, is keeps waiting for new social equity applicants to come out so that you can begin to build those relationships. If you're going to have a dispensary, I want to be nice to you. I want to support you because, and I want you to start as soon as possible so I can get my products on your shelf. Uh, and so, you oh, know, here's a, here's a question here. Dealing with Illinois company uh, also here, nightmarish at the moment. And, you know, when you're saying that the companies want to uh, or, you know, that the, the legislation wants to have more companies come in. Why do you think that, that this happens in terms of that it's hard to deal with, that it's a nightmare, that it's not something? I've seen that in Colorado, but right now what's going on in Illinois, why, why is it like that? Well, uh, a large part of it, um, uh, I think, goes back to, you know, quote my favorite person myself. Uh, I, uh, you know, I said, don't attribute to malice that which can be explained yeah. by stupidity. And a lot of it is just the, that people don't necessarily match up their social, their interests. Uh, and so they act as adversary, as adversaries rather than, than um, acting as allies. And so the reality was when uh, this legislation was happening in Springfield, there were apparently a number of uh, interest groups or companies that wanted to see enough changes to where they wanted to stop the progress of the existing thing. But the companies that wanted to fix the problem, the social equity companies without the lobbyists, um, didn't have a voice in this process, really. And so what happened was uh, failure, stoppage. Uh, and in, in, in politics, that's not uncommon. Deals often unravel. Uh, legislatures run out of time. And so here's what happened with legislation in Illinois. It was close to passing, but ultimately they had a lot of other bills they had to pass by noon. Okay. That was key by noon yesterday. And so the question was, are you going to give those precious minutes of debate on the floor of the legislature to a bill that is not controversial, that everybody is looking to pass and support? Or are you going to try to squeeze in something that's really controversial where you as a politician, you know, you're going to upset a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, everybody looks at stuff from their own merits. And so yeah. in part, there is a lack of congruence. One side um, has a megaphone uh, and the other side is whispering. Uh, and so I think if we're going to have a, a real industry, we need to have um, real unity and real sustainability. And that starts from dialogue. I don't think people understand that, you know, and I don't know that it's just the cannabis industry, but cannabis industry, I think 
even much more so than most other industries depends on relationships. And I, I would say relationships are key. And we've got another one, uh, comment, somebody here at Quantum League Media, relationship building is key, but seems to be a missing link in the chain at the moment. And I, I would say, you know, from Colorado to California, so many conversations on this show, we've talked about people don't cooperate within the industry. So that's why I thought it was unique in, in Illinois, how you were talking about the union, that people do cooperate. And those, that relationship building, whether it's with a legislator, a regulator, uh, a competitor within the same state are absolutely going to do the, the um, uh, industry a service as opposed to doing a disservice by holding all the information to, to yourself because you can't get anything done if you're kind of the lone wolf company. So I think that even though your, your initiatives didn't pass in Illinois, you're probably far ahead from a lot of other states where no one talks to one another and they probably never will for a while. And that's just uh, really unfortunate. I consider that real just amateurish, bush league, unsustainable behavior. Um, what you know, ultimately we're all going to sink or swim together. And right. the assumption that people make that we're going to swim for sure and the deal is done, I, I don't think that's clear. There are a lot of people, you know, in Illinois' paper today, uh, in the largest paper in the state of Illinois, that was an op-ed from an op opponent uh, of cannabis who said, see, Illinois promised equity and they ended up screwing all these people. So, uh doesn't help us at all, folks. Um, it, it doesn't help. You know, this this is different here. So in Ontario, Canada, all legal dispensaries are obligated to order shelf product from government-owned corporation, Ontario's, Ontario Cannabis Store. Are you having monopoly-type issues like this on a state level? I don't see them here in Colorado. I don't see them really in any state, and I don't know if they're ever going to come, other yeah. than issues what you're doing. What, what do you think about that? Well, I Canada is a very different animal. I happen to like Canada a lot. Um, uh, but, you know, Canada, look, everybody in Canada has a free quality health care. So, uh, you know, they don't have to worry about bankrupting if they get sick. Right. So I think uh, Canada is just a totally different animal. And the reality is, is that the, let's say, the state of Illinois is never going to get into the cannabis selling business itself. So there aren't going to be uh, government entities. We're just getting into the tax collection business, the sales somebody else does. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people with not $100,000, but with $10,000 that say we ought to have 100 people with 10 grand each start a cooperative that's yeah. a community-based operation rather than uh, you know, a, a large corporate monopoly. Absolutely. You're talking about that for buying from buying packages to product to increasing, uh, you know, availability of some products, reducing the supply chain costs that I can see coming in addition to interstate packs, probably like are happening in the Northeast will start to happen where you have states that are connected and they can do away with interstate commerce laws. I definitely see that coming, which is a start to that. It's not necessarily monopoly, but it is cooperation. I want to address a question here from, from Bo. 36% retail is like having three times higher than any other state I've seen to from a consumer standpoint. So Illinois is messed up on both sides and the consumer side. Good luck to them. Um, well, I'll just answer this as a consumer. I still buy stuff. Mm. Okay. Uh, now, uh, part of my calculation sometimes is, is it cheaper for me to buy this 
from this new retail store or from my old established guy mm. uh, that I just call and he brings it to me. Now, that is an absolutely fair point that if you make this too expensive, you price the legitimate product out of the market and just continue to encourage um you know, black market, grape market, some people will say traditional um, cannabis sales by traditional vendors rather than the new dispensaries. Well, have so you, have I, you I, seen an increase in, in uh, gray and black market, you know, products since COVID's happened? Because just the time to get things out, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I've seen an increase in all products. I mean, there's just been such a huge uh, uptick in uh, cannabis utilization. Um, you know, right or wrong, I think a lot of people are, uh, you know, sort of self-medicating during a very, very difficult time. Um, and I think a lot of people, and this is sort of the trouble to some other industries, um, a lot of people are, you know, using cannabis instead of alcohol these days. Yeah. Some, some people are using cannabis instead of tobacco these days. And so right. uh, I think that, yes, um, high taxation is an issue. But um, it has not prevented a billion dollars in sales in Illinois this year. Right. And there would have been more if there was more product people wanted to buy. So um, on the one hand, it's uh, a tax. On the other hand, it supports um, grants to organizations that help people reenter after they come out of uh, incarceration. It supports community economic grants and a lot of other activity that we need in order to restore some semblance of equity, given what's happened in the war on drugs. Well, so, I can also say that you know what the product is. You know, if something's well, regulated, it has to be tested. You know what you're putting in your body. So, from a health standpoint, uh, regulated uh, weed is way better than unregulated weed. Right. I want, I want to address a comment here from Robert. Um, inadvertently, they are setting up smaller operations here in California to be bought by MSOs and monopolies. So the state has less companies to deal with licensing. That was uh, from a little bit ago. But if, if you could address that, uh, how you see that state to state, um, what, what's your opinion there on California? Well, I, I think the key word, Robert, is actually um, inadvertently, uh, right? Uh, and sort of in my world, uh, uh, you know, intent uh is is very you know a lot of times i say to people you know if the if if the goal of public policy is a horse um you start off with a monkey and a dog and you get a lion rather than a horse uh and you may do best with that lion you know maybe you saddle it and teach it uh to act like a horse i don't know you know i don't want to beat the analogy to death but the reality is is that um, the cannabis policy overall is peppered with inadvertent unintentional consequences from all, uh, from well-meaning people. I think part of that is to be, you know, decried. Um, uh, but part of that is, um, is, is, is just, uh, I mean, you know, look, uh, you had liquor and Al Capone. You don't have Al Capone anymore. You just go to the liquor store. Yeah. So every, uh, uh, every industry matures and becomes more sophisticated uh, if you give it a chance to uh, thrive. And I think the worst thing is that the state is not 
allowing this industry to thrive and figure some of these things out. I honestly believe that taxes are good. They can be used for good things. And they also guarantee, you know, uh, look, if you don't like uh, the idea of taxes, look at it like protection money. You're yeah. paying you're, prote- you're, you're, you're paying protection money to the boss of the Illinois State Police. <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a different way to think about it, and I I like that. You know, we're we're about out of time here, Mark. So um, great great explanation. I mean, I, I love talking to you. It's a, a different insight into the industry here. How can people get a hold of you? What's the best way and a website to direct people to? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sophisticated enough to have a website. I operate entirely on personal introductions uh, and, and uh, on a network. Uh, I don't advertise. I don't promote myself other than doing stuff like this, um, which, you know, is always uh, amazing to me because I don't ever see myself as all that smart. But you can always email me. Uh, it's Mark, M-A-R-K, at mbmadvantage.com. MBM stands for Mark's Big Mouth, which is my Twitter handle. (laughs) And my wife wanted to use that as part of the corporate name. And I said, that's too obnoxious even for me. I said, but I'll work the initials into the uh, name of the company. So Mark at MBMAdvantage.com. Awesome. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks again for your time. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. And thanks, everybody.